When the day of Pentecost had come, and they were all together in one place, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a, a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this, had, this sound had occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speak our own language, our tongues, we hear, hear them in our own tongues speaking, in the, speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. Just want to recap, it's been a few weeks, so catch, catch us up where we're at. Jesus, before ascending into heaven, visited his disciples multiple times, revealing to them that he's alive because that is the main message that the disciples are going to be telling the world. Jesus has risen from the dead and you can have forgiveness for sins in his name. So Jesus gives them the particulars of the mission. The mission is for them to be his witnesses throughout the world. And then we see after a while, he, he tells them that they need to wait for today, what we're reading today. But while they're waiting, we see them preparing for the mission. So you have the mission, then they prepare for the mission. They add an apostle because of Judas. And now we see Jesus giving them the power for the mission. So all of this is, is coming to a head today. What we see here, what is happening in this small gathering of people about this size, Jesus is giving them the power for the mission in which he told them to do. You picture a huge dam. This is actually the Aswan High Dam on the Nile. It's 375 feet high and 11,000 feet across. Egypt's president, Nassar, announced the plan for construction of the dam in 1953. The dam was completed in... Oh, not working. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's the dam. That wasn't the dam. The dam was completed in 1970, and in 1971, there was a grand dedication ceremony. 
And the 12 turbines with their 10 billion kilowatt hour capacity were unleashed with enough power to light every city in Egypt. However, during the long period of construction, the Nile River wasn't completely stopped up. Even as that reservoir was filling, part of the river was allowed to flow past. And the country folk downstream depended on it. They drank from it, they washed in it, watered their crops, they sailed on it, and even wrote songs about it. But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, a power was unleashed that spread far beyond the folk downriver and brought possibilities that they had only dreamed of. The author continues and he says, Before Pentecost... What we see here today, happening in the passage today, the river of God's Spirit blessed the people of Israel. Spirit was their life, but He was only given to a select few. However, after Pentecost, the power power of the Spirit spread that light throughout the entire world. On Pentecost, 10 billion kilowatts were added to enable the church to take the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And folks, you and I have that same power today. Amen? God's Spirit gives you and I proclaiming power. First thing that we see as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church is to do what? Speak is to proclaim the mighty acts of God. It's it's a terrible, terrible thing to be given a job and then not given the ability or the means to do it or the authority, right? Don't you hate that? People give you a job to do and you just can't do it because they're not giving you the necessary resources in order to do the job. Jesus Christ does not do that. He gives us a job and then he gives us his presence the power in order to accomplish what he has asked you and I to do. Folks, we are no different. We are absolutely no different than the people who are experiencing this event in the passage today. Yes, the Holy Spirit does not come in such a fashion when we believe in Jesus Christ, but it is the same power, it is his presence that is residing in you and me today to accomplish his purpose. With a number of individuals about this number in this church today, and they change the entire world, he gives us his presence. Notice the language that is used in these first verses here. There is a a noise, a violent rushing wind And it is filling the whole entire house and appearance over them of of these tongues of fire, which is intentional to speak to what the purpose is. It's a noise that began here in Jerusalem and a noise that was heard throughout the world. It is a fire that was kindled here in Jerusalem and is a fire that continues to burn today because of the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to use his church, his people, you and me as his mouthpiece to the world. We have a message and we have been given the power in order to proclaim that message. 
The Spirit no longer is given to just a select few. So what is happening here, verses 1, 2, and 3, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And just really quick, don't let anyone ever tell you you need a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is a false teaching. That's incorrect. Everybody, when they believe and call upon the name of Jesus Christ, is given the Spirit in fullness. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You don't need a special baptism, and it's not manifested in speaking in tongues. That happened in the early church, and we see here what the purpose of the tongues were. What's the purpose of the tongues? They were foreign tongues so people could understand the message of the gospel. It's not some spiritual gibberish. There's a point and a purpose behind it. It says the, the Holy Spirit rested on each one of them. It is absolutely crucial we see that. And the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us who have believed in the name of the Lord Jesus. He has opened the dam to us, and we have the power not to just light up Gorham, but the entire world. That's what he wants us to do. It's a good New Year's message, isn't it? A good, good start to the new year. That not only do we have a purpose, we have the power behind that purpose. There's three aspects that we're going to be looking at today as we kind of unpack three kind of distinctives as what this looks like and, and, and how this applies to us today. Uh, the first aspect is, is, is important because there's two things happening simultaneous that do not happen all the time with us. So his filling will enable you, he will give you utterance through his filling. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled. So they're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Throughout the, throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see before people speak, and before they speak the gospel, sometimes it says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. You and I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but we are not always filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit results primarily in this, in speaking. I cannot emphasize that enough because we, we see this all the time throughout churches we hear about the Holy Spirit moving and doing all these, these miraculous things, and they're happening in the church, and there's really no speaking or proclamation of the gospel outside of those walls. The first thing we see is when they allow the Holy Spirit to work through them, they speak something. They say something, and that something has to do what God is doing or has done, or will do. Speaking. Huge aspect. Proclamation. His power brings proclamation as he gives utterance, and he can do the same through you and me. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're wondering that. How many people are sailors? Need some sailors in here. Yeah, a couple sailors. All right. A few sailors. I, I was in the Navy, but I was not a sailor. I was a sailor, but I didn't sail. I actually flew in airplanes, so 
know nothing about sailing, but this guy does. He writes an article for Christianity Today. His name is Andrew Wilson. And he says, when you're sailing, is, is being filled with the wind an experience or is it an, a habit? And he says, both. He says, catching the wind on a sailboat is clearly an experience. I vividly remember that first feeling of being seized and carried forward by a mighty power from elsewhere. However, also, it is a habit. Why is it a habit? Well, you got to pull the sails up, don't you? You got to pull the main sheet fast. You got to adjust the jib, or you will go absolutely nowhere. So, even if the wind is blowing powerfully, if you don't make adjustments to the wind, you're not going to move forward. It says sailing in that sense is the art of attentive responsiveness to an external power. That's a key point. Or internal for our sake. You rely entirely on the power to get you anywhere. Sailors never imagine themselves to be powering the boat by their own strength, but you have to also respond attentively to whatever the wind is doing. We are to rely on the Spirit's immeasurable power rather than our own strength to get us anywhere. However, you and I must develop habits. We have to respond attentively to what He is doing in and through us a capacity that comes through awareness, skill, and practice. Makes sense, doesn't it? So the wind is blowing in a certain direction. What do we need to do? We need to put up our sails. You and I need to be willing to be driven and led by the Holy Spirit in order for Him to use us. Notice the definition, to be Spirit-filled according to Scripture is to be controlled or dominated by the Spirit of God's presence and by His power. So yeah, the Holy Spirit lives within us, but here's the question. Are we allowing Him to move us and guide us? That's, that's the issue. The issue is not whether or not he, he resides in us. The issue is not whether or not we have the power. The issue is, are we attentive to what He wants to do in our lives? Folks, one of the greatest things that the Holy Spirit does with us is change us, isn't it? His whole purpose is to change us and to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, but he's not going to force that upon us, is he? As a matter of fact, later on, we're going to be told to be filled with the Holy Spirit instead of being drunk with wine, which is, is pretty applicable in this passage, because why? They think they're drunk with wine. They think they're drunk, but they're really being led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Folks, the biggest thing that God does in our lives when, when, when we're saved by Jesus Christ and we're given the Holy Spirit is He wants us to change from serving ourselves to serving Him. His priorities become our priorities. I've been thinking about this because it's easy to come in here on a Sunday morning to people who actually want to hear a sermon. 
you actually came. I'm assuming you want to hear a sermon. I don't know how long of a sermon you want to hear. But you want to, you want to actually hear it. So I'm like, yeah, this is easy, right? I could, I could preach all I want up here. But I've noticed that sometimes in, out in the world, right, I'm prompted sometimes to say something. Oh, this is a good opportunity. And what do I do? Sales down. Come on, get in, get in, put in it, get in. Go, go right here. And I say no to the Holy Spirit. When I know, when I know one of his primary desires in my life is to speak the gospel to unbelievers. That's one of his primary desires. And how many people want to do that? Raise your hands. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, that's good, good. How many people get afraid to do that? Raise your hands. It's hard, isn't it? And we're like, no, not, not, no, not right now. That's not a good time. Yeah, it's not a good time. And... They're allowing the Holy Spirit to give them utterance, and then and they're opening their mouth. <laughs> so we got to open our mouths. The filling of the Holy Spirit enables our proclaiming. So don't worry about what you're going to say. Matter of fact, Jesus says that. When you're brought before the authorities, he says, don't worry about what you're saying. My Father's Spirit will give you the utterance of what to say. Here's perfect proof of what that is, what that looks like. We're going to see that throughout the book of Acts. We're going to see these individuals speaking in power and, 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 and effectiveness. Nothing has changed, folks. Nothing has changed. The same thing that God did through the early church, God can do through you and me. The question is, are we going to let him? Second aspect that we see here. And, and I think we can miss this point in this passage. He can speak powerfully through the ordinary. Where do I get that from? Where do I say that from this? Where do we get that from this passage? Well, go down with me to verse 7. So they're all, they're all speaking, right? And everyone's, everyone's amazed and bewildered. And then they say something pretty interesting. Why else were they amazed and astonished? Yes, at the language, at what is happening, the fire and the the roar and the sounds. They say, why are, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? That's a key point. That's a key point in this passage. What's so big about being Galilean? Well, I, I'm sure we have our, you know, areas where we're like, oh, you're from, I don't know, Biddo or Biddeford. Sorry if anyone's from Biddeford, but it's just a main thing. When, when we were, when I grew up, right, it was Trenton, right? So I was in PA and we're like, oh, you're from, you're from Trenton. You know, Trenton was just this, you know, it's just the armpit of America. Just, that's what they call Jersey, but then Trenton even worse. So like the center of the armpit, sorry for the illustration, but it, it was kind of similar to what, you know, what they're saying about Galileans. They're like, Aren't they, these guys are Galileans. They're like, who? These guys are nobodies. So when they talked about Galilean, it's actually a name of content. They, they were very marginalized people. They were, it's a very small area. It's just insignificant, rural area. They were a simple people, and a key point is they were uneducated. They were uneducated. How many people kind of fit in that right now? Yeah, there we go. 
and they say they're amazed not just at what is happening, but who it is happening through. And that is an absolute crucial point for you and me to understand. Do you know when, if, if I told you I went to go hear a, a, someone speak, a, a preacher, and I came back and you said, how did he do? And I said, well, he was, I don't know, he was, he was trembling. He, he didn't speak with a lot of power. He was actually speaking pretty weak and he was afraid. You would be like, well, that guy probably needs some preaching lessons or something. And then I told you, well, his name was the Apostle Paul. Because that's actually how Paul describes himself in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4, isn't it? He didn't come with eloquence. He spoke in weakness. He spoke with great fear. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Do we understand Apostle Paul is like one of the greatest preachers of all time? Was afraid. And trembling. What is God doing? God loves to use those things in this world that are considered nothing. He loves to use ordinary, base nobodies. Because it's not just about the proclamation, it's the power in the powerless. The ones who are nobodies are the ones who actually are changing the world. The ones who are nobodies are the ones that are exalted in the kingdom of heaven. People like you and me. You don't need a degree. You don't need a a college education on speech delivery. You don't need to be a well-studied apologist. You just need to be willing to be used by him. That's what he wants. And he wants to display his power through ordinary people like you and me. And the focus is not on the messenger. The focus is to be on the message. What are they speaking? Who are they drawing attention to? Notice they say they are speaking the mighty deeds of God. That's what we got to talk about. Peter is going to proclaim what God is doing and what he will do in the world. And definitely, the mighty deeds of God include the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest mighty deed of God. We're worried too much about ourselves. And that actually prohibits us from speaking, doesn't it? We're worried about what people will think about us. And sometimes we think we're inadequate for the task. Guess what? We all are. That's okay. Actually, Paul says that. Who is our adequacy? Him. He's our adequacy. He can speak through me, but he can speak through you. He can speak through any single one of us. Any single one of us. No matter what your education background is, no matter where you're from, no matter what you're going through at the time. We speak, we open our mouths, 
and we leave the results up to Him. Don't think that your limitations, whatever they may be, are going to limit God. We have to have a greater faith in Him, not in ourselves. Right now in our culture, we're elevating preachers, we're elevating people. That is not what is to be happening. Our goal is to elevate God, and we can all do that. Tony Campolo tells of how a counselor, he was a counselor at a junior high school camp. He said he never met meaner kids in his life there. The Christian camp, by the way. I don't know why that is, but... He said they focused on one unfortunate kid named Billy. Billy had cerebral palsy. His brain was unable to exercise proper control over his body or his speech. Matter of fact, they called him Spastic Billy. Billy would walk across the grounds of the camp in a disjointed manner. The others would line up behind him, imitating every, his every movement. One day, Billy asked one of the boys, which way is it to the craft shop? One of the boys twisted grotesquely, pointed in several dozen different directions and said that way. How could they be so cruel, Tony wonders? The meanness reached its lowest point when Billy's cabin had been assigned the morning devotion for those 150 kids. They voted for Billy to be the speaker because they knew he couldn't do it. They just wanted to get him up there so they could mock and laugh at him. Little Billy got up out of his seat and limped his way to the platform. You could hear all the titters of mocking laughter but that didn't stop the little guy. He took his place behind the raised platform and started to speak. It took him almost 10 tortured minutes to say, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. That's all he said. When he had finished, there was dead silence. Campolo says he looked out and the boys were crying all over the place. He said a revival broke out at camp that year. Many kids turned their lives over to Jesus Christ because of what Billy said. How did Billy do that? Same way we can. Those are the people God loves to use. Trust in His power. Allow Him to fill you. Leave the results up to Him. The responses to our message will vary. Right down to the final two verses there. They all continued in amazement. There was great perplexity. They were asking one another, what, what, what does all this mean? And then others were mocking and saying they are full of 
sweet wine. I mean, people like Christmas caroling. Yeah. Folks, some of the uh, people raising their hands all went Christmas caroling. Al and our, we, we went out a few weeks ago. We didn't dress like that, but that would have been fun. Maybe we should. Maybe more people would have opened their doors if we dressed like that. Actually, maybe more people would have closed their doors if we dressed like that. But, we, you, know, you know, we go Christmas caroling, right? You see, we met in the Family Life Center, all excited, right? Everyone's all excited. This should be great. Just, I can't wait to go out. It's a warmer night. You know, we're going to spread the joy. We're going to sing songs. People are going to be so happy. And then you go out and reality strikes and doors close, right? So we had, I'm not sure how many houses we went to, but throughout all the houses that we went to, we had a variety of responses to the same message. <laughs> well, Patrick Stewart. Oh, Patrick Stewart. You know, so one, one person said, I, I, can't, I can't hear it because I got baths. He's doing baths. I saw the kid in the window. The kid wanted to hear it. He's like, hi. Raven. Dad's like, no, I'm sorry. We're really busy right now. An another guy came down and he said, I'm all set. That's what he said. I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm, I don't want any carols. Then some people would come to the door and they were like, oh, I'm not sure how long is this going to last. You know, they're like looking inside. They didn't really seem like they wanted to be there. And then some people would come to the door and then they would go grab people. Right? And they would, they would listen and other, other people would want to jump in. Then some people offered us money. I'm not sure if it was for lessons. <laughs> it wasn't directed towards me. And then, and we didn't take the money. And then one person, actually, they opened up the garage. The husband came, right? You remember? And then he goes grab his wife. His wife comes out with this, this bowl of candy, just starts handing out candy. Some people asked about our church, you know, and it, we had a variety of responses. That is one thing that you and I just have to prepare for. And a key point, a key point that we see here is that just because you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're, we're doing our part, right? We're, we're allowing Him to work through us. We're following His lead. He's speaking through us just because we, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of that is happening does not mean that everybody is going to respond positively to the message. It's not a failure of the Holy Spirit or on our part. Notice all the responses here. There's amazement, there's astonishment, bewilderment, perplexity, there's curiosity, there's amusement, and there is mocking. Now, the, the mocking is the one that gets us. So I'm going to key in on the mocking for a second. I like the way the, the NIV actually says it. It says they were making fun of them. How many people were made fun of as a kid? Yeah. How many people liked being made fun of as a kid? No, no one likes being made fun of. Right? And, and what happens when you're made fun of as a kid? You, you tend to not want to be around those people who make fun of you, right? So you kind of withdraw when you're made fun of as a kid. And that's a natural response. 
The same thing happens to us as Christians. We are afraid about the responses that people are going to give, and we don't want to be mocked. We don't want to be made fun of, and we don't want to be rejected. It's one of the main reasons we don't say anything, because we are more concerned with how they'll think about us. We don't ruffle people's feathers. We don't people say, no, you believe in, that's crazy stuff. You believe in a, you know, I, some guy at Long Creek when I would talk, you believe in a sky wizard? You know, who wants to say, you know, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm, yeah. you know and you, you feel stupid. And then you go home and then you, you're like, why, when I believe in this? And, it, and then you begin, Satan loves that. That's exactly where he wants you, isn't it? He, he does not want you and I to proclaim because he knows the power behind the proclamation because stuff like this happens where 3,000 people or 2,000, however the number is, are saved in one day. He doesn't want that. So he's going to use mocking and jeering and how you feel or what their response is to get you to stop talking. Don't allow that at all. going to use a variety of tactics to get you and me to stop proclaiming the gospel because the gospel through the Holy Spirit is the power to save people. And if we're preaching the gospel, people are going to get saved. I think it says somewhere God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power. No amount of jesting is going to stop people from confessing. I remember one time I took a chance with a guy in a diner years ago, very zealous, just wanted to talk to people about my faith, something was on the news, public diner, turned to the guy, started talking about God, and he got absolutely livid. There was food flying out of his mouth when he's yelling at me. And I'm like, I, I was embarrassed, I was, I was humiliated, and it made me not want to talk. But his reaction is not my responsibility. What, whatever it may be, was God working on his heart? It seemed like it. <laughs> he just didn't like it. And we're going to see that. People have two responses a lot. You know, they either reject it or, or, or they, they accept it or want to know more about it. That's what we see happening here. They ask a question, don't they? They ask a question. So a seed was planted and they ask a question. Hey, what does all this mean? Peter is going to answer that question for him in his sermon. Some are going to turn and believe. Why? Because the same spirit that dwelled in them dwells in you and me. Our job is to be responsive to him. I asked someone the other week, or someone came up to me the other week, uh, counters, Tim, because I mentioned the number. There was 120, and I think it was the same number. The same round, same number. And that's, that was gathered right here. Right here in this place. Around the same number today. 
What was their impact? You know their impact. We're a result of their impact. Folks, you and I have the same exact power. You and I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. How many people made New Year's resolutions? You guys New Year's resolution people? No, some couple? Okay. Gym, right? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to beef up physically. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, that's not my resolution. I ain't going to the gym. I'm going to play a video game or sort of defeat some game I got. How about, a, how about a spiritual resolution? Do you think this is a good one? You think allowing the Holy Spirit to move in us this year, to be responsive to His leading and guiding and to open our mouths and to see what happens? Do you think that's a good New Year's resolution? How about as a church we make that New Year's resolution? You on with me on that? All right, let's do it. We'll check in at the end of the year. We have the power. Let's go light up the world. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your grace and mercy towards us. Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us, myself included, just allow him to work in our hearts and in our lives to change us more and more into the image of Christ, Lord, so that we may be obedient to this calling. And I pray, Lord, that as we go forth and we trust in you, we allow him to fill us and speak through us, Lord, that we could bear fruit for your kingdom and your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.